0: Hello and welcome to Nevermind the Bar Charts with myself, Mark Pack. This time I'm rerunning a podcast I've appeared on from the wonderful Lib Dem pod team who did a special interview episode with myself, Mike Dixon, the Liberal Democrat Chief Executive and Ed Davey, our party leader. So over to Hannah and the Lib Dem pod team.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Lib Dem podcast. Uh, my name is Hannah Kitching and i am hosting the podcast today which is a q and a with uh three top people in our party some might say um, i'm going to ask them all to introduce themselves <laughs> in a moment this is our first podcast back of 2022 so happy new year everyone um If you could just, I'd like to just introduce yourselves, please, guys, and then just give me a really quick kind of summary of what your role in the party is. So we'll start with Mark, please.
0: Hi, Hannah. Nice to join you. Uh, I'm Mark. I am the president of the Liberal Democrats, which means I was elected by all party members a couple of years back for a three-year term. And my job technically is chairing the federal board. But in, in practice, the key thing is that by being someone who's elected by all party members, I try and make sure we always remember and bring the voice of party members to key decisions that are being made.
1: Lovely. Thanks, Mark. And then we'll go to Ed.
2: Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Ed. I'm the leader of the party. I guess that means I lead the politics and the political campaigning and messaging, working with my parliamentary team here in the Commons, but also the Lords, local government and the wider membership. And of course, every one of you. We've got to get that politics right. And it's my job to work with you to get that right.
1: Lovely. Thanks, Ed. And then Mike.
3: Hello, I'm Mike. So I'm appointed to the role through an interview process, um, appointed by the Federal Board, and my job is to manage the people and the money in a more formal way.
1: Okay, that's great. Okay, so, as I say, first podcast of 2022. um, Let's have a quick review of the year. So we'll go back the way around. So we'll start with Mike first. What is your assessment of how the Lib Dems did in 2021?
3: Uh, really well, I think. Um, So we had uh, two fantastic by-election wins, Um, And I think as importantly, underneath, we built a lot of the systems, the processes, the ways of working that Dorothy recommended in her Thornhill review. So it feels like we're working much better as one party. Um, We're doing things more collaboratively. We've got much stronger teams in place. And I think we're pretty well set for the next year. So I was really pleased with from an operational kind of chief exec point of view, how well the party's running at the moment. Still a lot to do, but definitely huge strides forward.
1: Brilliant. That's really good to hear, Mike. And I think Ed's going to tell us how that kind of operational smoothness is translated into political success. What would you say, Ed?
2: Yeah, well, of course, the stunning by-election wins in Cheshire, Amersham and North Shropshire were obviously the highlights. um, But they were part of the wider picture that Mike's just described. I think, though, for the Liberal Democrats, they've helped change the narrative about us and the wider political narrative. We've shown that the Tories can be beaten and that the Liberal Democrats are able to take seats from the Tories like no one else. I think we're offering a political home for thousands of former Tory supporters, decent people, absolutely dismayed uh, by Boris Johnson's leadership. And overall, I think it shows that we're back with our campaigning mojo. And I'd like to think so many people in the party Decisions by the federal board, implemented Mike and, and Mark and the whole team, particularly focusing on rebuilding our field campaigns team. They're the, the staff, the amazing people who help organise victories like Cheshire and Amersham and North Shropshire and have put a smile on, back on our faces.
1: Yes, it is good to start the new year with a smile, isn't it? Ed. Mark, what about you? What's your appraisal of 2021 to the Lib Dems?
0: I think the second half of the year was just way beyond any even exaggeratedly optimistic expectations we would have dared have a year ago, you know, to win two parliamentary by-elections in a year off the Tory, something we've not done since. I shudder to think what proportion of the party members were not even born when we, you know, last achieved that in 93. And to be, you know, solidly up in the opinion polls about three points on average across across the year is is really good news. Um, I think the challenge for us looking forward now to next year is to expand that success that, you know, colleagues in Scotland say who are listening to this will doubtless be remembering that, you know, in Scotland, sadly, we didn't manage to go forward a number of MSPs. And in Wales, we held on to our one Senate member, but unfortunately, weren't able to grow grow that this time that we've made really good successes in the second half of the year, then the big challenge now is to replicate that on a wider scale in in the really important elections coming up in May.
1: So let's just let's just pick up on North Shropshire, because obviously that's really fresh in people's memory. so, what was your because I think it's fair to say these by elections they weren't sitting ducks, were they? they? You know, they weren't they weren't kind of top of the Lib Dem hit list. So, I'd love to know what was your kind of honest, good, gut reaction when, when someone came to you and said, because I know the campaigns team did some sort of preliminary door knocking, finding out what things were like on the ground. When whoever that person was that came to you guys and went, let's go for it, what, what was your gut reaction, Ed?
2: Definitely um you know I've been around the party a long time and I remember when we did win lots of by-elections that no one thought we could win um you know Mark mentioned back in 1993 when we were on Christchurch and Newbury and you know I had a sense that um the tide is turning against the Tories the tide is turning against Boris Johnson with the endless scandals and the sleaze and frankly their shocking management of the country Mm. whether it's the economy whether it's pandemic I think lots of people are fed up they uh, feel taken for granted and especially in the blue wall seats uh you know our you know core opportunity where we can t- turn those blue wall seats yellow i think voters are genuinely fed up of being taken for granted ignored frankly taken advantage of so i think um you know when they came to me and said we could win this i said yeah let's go for it I- i'm really up for it and I actually really enjoyed getting on the doorstep and talking to people and seeing how many Tory voters were disillusioned and saw us as the best opportunity.
1: What, what about you, Mike? Because, you know, obviously one thing we know is that by-elections cost money, you know, sig- significant amounts of money. So what what was your, off fresh off the back of and Amisham, Jetsham- Jetsham- where I'm presuming we spent some pennies, what was your reaction when they said we're going for another one?
3: Um... I mean, the way your question is phrased, it makes it sound like HQ is a huge army of people, and actually, it's it's a really small team in the centre of the party. So, um, I think about after the by-election was called, I think about six of us went up. I was really keen to be part of that because I I hadn't done it for Cheshire and Amersham, and I wanted to see on the ground how how are the campaign's team making that decision. So, I think we talked to about three hundred people that day. Tried to t- talk to one or two people on every kind of street. And um, it was really clear that uh, people were unhappy um, and um, and that there were some specific things that were very campaignable on. So NHS, hospitals, it was also really clear that Brexit wasn't coming up as an issue that would have been a problem for us. Um, and it felt like the kind of place that's been taken for granted. So um and then that evening so we did that for a day that evening we all sat round in the place that later became our HQ around a table and just said do we think we can really improve on second place um, we'd also had dinner the night before with uh, the local party who had clearly done a lot of work setting up all the all the delivery routes, had managed to print out on a riso and get leaflets right across the constituency, and had the really the right attitude. So they said, you know, we want to work with you as the federal party to really make this work. We want to learn from this, and we want to leave ourselves in a really good place. So I think it was that combination of uh, voters who were open to us um, – the the experience we'd had in Cheshire and Amersham and the result of the local party meant it was it, frankly it was really obvious that we should go for it. it wasn't really even a decision that we we had to make um, and we thought the other thing that's important about that decision I think is you have to plan activity out quite a few you know at least two weeks in advance and so we need to release the funds for that so effectively what we did was we said let's release as much money as we can spend reasonably if we were going to do this at full tilt for the whole campaign and after two weeks we'll take stock and pull back if we if we think it's not going well and as it happened it was going really well. And for everyone that contributed, I want to say a massive thank you because people responded really well to the fundraising that we did throughout this. It meant that we could actually run the kind of campaign we wanted. So if you came, if you gave money, if you encouraged other people to come, if you called people, it was a really big effort across the party. So uh, you did this. Thank you.
1: Mark, would you you echo that?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, when I first sort of saw that, you know, by-election was, you know, in the offing there, I sort of you know, grabbed my electoral statistics, had a look at the figures and thought, well, crikey, this is a Newbury type swing that we would need to win it. So I guess in theory it's possible. But are we? is the politics really the same now for us and for the government as it was then? But I think, as Mike has touched on, in a way, the key decision isn't to think, you know, have we got a chance of winning? It's more to think the amount of information, you know, right at the beginning of a campaign is it worth throwing everything at it and to see how it goes and throwing everything at it might mean a good second place it might mean being in with a chance of winning and you actually don't know the difference between those two very often until quite deep into the campaign and you can't leave bit like I guess you know what you need to do to be successful with a by-election is the opposite of Boris Johnson's approach to tackling Covid you know you can't wait until you've got the hard data you need to be thinking ahead but the thing that really stuck in my mind was having heard people like Mike confuse about their early canvassing was when I then went and did my first canvassing session. And it just, everyone I spoke to was a soft Tory. And mm-hmm. when I said afterwards to others, look, if anyone else had done this, I wouldn't have believed it. You know, I wouldn't have, you know, surely if you're coming back and saying everyone is a soft Tory, you're canvassing badly. know, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so that for me was the moment I thought, yeah, okay. I really believe what, what others are saying. This is definitely, we've got to take the gamble and throw everything at it.
1: And I think that's something that was really important for, for members and, mm. and viewers to see was all of yourselves out there on the campaign trail, you know, fr- from early doors. I think particularly you, Mike, because I think, you know, a lot of people, I mean, obviously it's Ed's job to be out there knocking on doors. But I think people perceive, you know, the chief executive is, a, you know, more of a desk job um, and, you I think it's been really fantastic for the party to have a you know a campaigning chief executive because we are a campaigning party. That you know that's how we win, and so you know to see you all leading from the front, I think members know to take something seriously when they see the leader and the president and the chief executive all out on the ground day in day out. Ed,
2: Mike, well, Mike taught me something about uh, campaigning. And one of the ways he managed to charm people in some of the villages of Chesham Amersham was by giving them gardening tips. <laughs> so I don't know whether that's going to catch on and whether Dave McCobb and the field campaign team are going to be recommending that. But you know, what one thing I thought was so strong from uh, the field campaign team work and all the volunteers from across the country coming to help was we were so focused on the issues that voters were worried about. So in Chesham and Amersham, we picked up really soon from voters, not from ourselves, but from voters, they worried about planning. They worried that they were not gonna get a voice, that the Tories were taking uh, their their rights away from them and taking them for granted. And so we talked about planning and gave them our alternatives. And that really resonated. And then we got to other issues, but planning was sort of the way in. That was what was on voters' minds. And then in North Shropshire, it was ambulance waiting times. I mean, the first time I canvassed, I think it was every third door. People were saying, you know, I or my relative or my friend or my neighbour had to wait hours for an ambulance. And so we made the health service the, the core of our campaign. And, you know, there's a lesson in that, isn't there? That if we listen to voters, we find what's their concern and then give them the Liberal Democrat solution to their problems. Actually, people go and vote for us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So just kind of, kind of building on the results from both chesham and Amisham and also North Rockshire, um, which we know we're good at by elections. And this is one of the reasons that I love being a Lib Dem is because we work as a team. And it's, you know, it's so fantastic to see, you know, every activist from all around the country, you know, pouring into that by election seats to get us a really amazing result so there have been some concerns raised about scalability. How do we, you know, how do we replicate that success in the general election, where both financial resources, but more importantly, people power are thinner on the ground? I'm going to come to Mark first, if that's okay.
0: Yeah, I think the key element is that we absolutely can achieve the scale of campaign in a constituency, a general election that we do at you know the full on by elections but you need to do you need a longer period of time so you can definitely do as much canvassing deliver as much literature address as much direct mail put up as many posters but you have to do it over a longer period of time so i think the key to scalability is to be committing to being full on campaigning over a longer period of time in sort of key seats and that's where things like getting our elections you know, in place is so important it's where as Ed mentioned the investment in the field team so that there is the professional staff support for the volunteers and the candidates all the way through that period and so on is really important and I guess the final element I would add which is the tricky balance is we need to be self-confident enough about what we can achieve such that you know we didn't just look at Northropshire and think 10% third leave no way but we also need to learn the lesson of the over-optimism of 2019 so it needs to be really driven by what's the evidence about where we can win. But absolutely, anyone listening to this, if you're in a seat, that you think we've got a chance of winning at the next election. You absolutely, you know, lots of your colleagues have managed to do a Northropshire scale campaign over a longer period of time. And absolutely, if you get things right in your own patch, I'm absolutely sure people can do it in their own patch too next time around as well.
1: Mike, any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah. when One of the things that was nice about by-elections is that you learn a load of skills from going out canvassing with people that you haven't canvassed with before, you learn different techniques, uh, you learn you watch how people talk to each other. And I think one great thing about both Cheshire and Amersham and North Shropshire was so many people came to their first by-election and have taken stuff back to their own constituencies or their own council seats or their own places and said, look, we can apply this thing here. And And I think what was what was very striking about both of those wins is that they weren't rocket science. You know, it was based on talking to people on the doorstep uh, and uh, listening to what they said and saying, we'll try and sort that thing out that you care about. I think we ran a really good local media campaign. So the relationship with the Shropshire Star was brilliant. Um, we did a lot of good digital stuff. Um, and I'm really proud of the, the kind of the... Um, content we produced on on in digital but both of those were won from knocking on doors and talking to people and i think the single strongest thing we can if people take anything from that campaign it is if you build a local team that's capable of delivering a lot of leaflets that are relevant to people and listening to people on the doorstep you can win in really surprising places and it's all about building that local team and what we've tried to do with HQ or or the federal party is to put in place the resources that help you build that local team and get that local team right because that's that's just how we win we know that
1: yeah absolutely Ed I'm going to ask you to answer but I'm going to add an extra question in for you as well which is I'd like a number from you how many seats will we target at the next general election um I think I think everyone would agree that we over targeted last time I was I was a candidate in one of those seats that I, I think really someone looked at the wrong spreadsheet when they added my uh, when they added my seat to the target seat list. Um But do we do we go fewer? Do we focus our efforts? You know, do, are we happy with 2025? Obviously, that puts a cap on the number you're potentially going to win. Give me an answer and give me a figure. Ed,
2: well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to because there's so many variables, the politics. How local parties build the team that mark and mike talked about so um, i think that's still to be settled but we do need to have target seats and we do need the discipline in the party to recognize that we're not going to win everywhere and if you're not a target seat, you we need you to be part of the team the national team to win those target seats so that when you are asked could you please go to the, your neighbouring constituency or maybe travel a little while to, to, to a target seat? We need you to, to do that because we just can't over-target. Um, but I do want to under, underpin uh, what both Mike and Mark said. It is all about building those local teams, making those links to neighbouring local parties. We won't win uh, seats through digital campaigning and in the media. Vital those, both those are. The really big lesson from Cheshire Amersham, and North Shropshire is knocking on doors and delivering leaflets. Some people think that is old-fashioned. Let me tell you, uh, President Obama, uh, in his second re-election, we had lots of people in his team, and the quid pro quo was they taught us about what was the most effective way of winning someone's vote. And the Americans, in only in, in the way that only the American can do, was they tested every single thing from Twitter to paid TV ads, all of it, the most powerful thing you can do, according to Obama's special team, was knock on the door and talk to someone. So the more people who are trained in canvassing, trained in minivan, which I love, uh, all that, who are, who are willing to go and talk to people on the doorstep, the more seats will win. And I literally mean that. The more you recruit deliverers to deliver those leaflets, the more canvases you get trained in 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 everything there is about canvassing in your local party uh, in constituencies to support your local party's target seat the more we're going to win it's a very very simple formula and i remember winning back in 1997 by just 56 votes after three recounts we won because between 9 30 pm and 10 pm we had about 100 people knocking on doors, dragging our voters to the polling stations. It's about creating a big local team, and then you can
1: win. I saw that Mike uh, just popped his hand at wanting to come in, and then I'll come to you, Mark, so Mike first.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to pick up on the thing you said about us targeting the wrong places. So um, we clearly got a lot of things wrong in 2019, and I think one of the things that we got most wrong was we we destroyed a lot of trust across the party in decision-making and people's ability to say I believe what I'm being told and so we've worked hard on that over the last 18 months and I, I hope that in both shashman and Amersham and in North Shropshire you've seen communications come out from the federal party and from me and others saying as much as we can this is where we are. Um, and trying to give you the same data that we are using to make decisions so that you can see, do we think this is winnable or not? How much difference will it make if I come? Um, I think by sharing that information and trying to be as open as we can across the party with what we're doing, we have rebuilt quite a lot of that trust so people can see that the federal party is you know, making decisions that are sensible. I mean, it's definitely helped that we've won in both cases. Um, but we have also tried to be real with you about where we are and i think as we go into the the both the locals this year and a general election beyond that having that sense of trust and this sense of openness from us about what we can share is going to be really important because as ed says we need people to go from one place to another, if th- if something's close to win a seat, and if we can't get that right at the last in the last few days, then um, we'll win far fewer seats. So just trying to rebuild that and be open and share is really important. And I think a lot of you will have seen an email from Dave McCobb, which is probably the longest and most in-depth thing we've sent for a really long time about how we did this campaign and how we won, and that was absolutely deliberate. And we think the risk of that being shared outside the party is uh, lower than the risk of people inside the party feeling they're not taken seriously and trusted, which is why we're being much more open than we have been for a long time.
1: Yeah, and and I think, you know, because let's remember, Cheshire and Amersham and North Shropshire have not been the only by-elections this year. We've also, you know, we've also had Batley and Spen Mm. and Hartlepool as well. And I think that, you know, the communications that have have come out of the party, the hype was around the by-elections that we won. Mm. Uh, And you know we're not going to get into whether we were right to stand candidates because obviously the answer is yes but those other by-elections have happened without that same level of hype around them um and of course uh old Bexley and Sidcup as well that was the other one um you know where, where we've stood candidates and they've done a you know they've done a great shift great service for the party but I think we've directed our resources to where you know where the success was rightly really. Mark did you just want to come in on that?
0: Yeah, I just uh, echo what Mike was saying. I think one of my unhappiest experiences campaigning for the party was in a parliamentary by-election a few years back, where I was out delivering, you know, the classic final weekend tabloid newspaper and the big banner front page headline about Lib Dem set to win, and thinking that surely, surely there's no way this is true. Um, But, you know, okay, I don't know the numbers, you know, I've turned up to help, I will do my stuff and of course when the result came out and we were a distant third it was you know it was clear that even the people who put that newspaper together had not really believed that it was true and i think you know if you're a small outsider party like we are you've got you know you you are fueled by optimism and hope but there's definitely a, dis- a difference between being fueled by that and being self-deluded by that and i think that's a really important thing to get right and i hope that for example when members have seen where Ed or Mike or myself or others in the party where we've gone to campaign and in a sense also where we've therefore not gone to campaign that we're all trying really hard to be as honest and open as it is possible given the public nature of politics with people about realistically what our chances are and therefore where it's really worth people putting their own volunteer effort in as well.
1: Yeah yeah absolutely okay so just Taking that forwards, I've got a, a couple of sort of, as, as, we, as we've not got a number, let's have a little bit of think about kind of where, a bit of a think about where and who, okay? So you're going to you're gonna all, all enjoy this one. Uh, this is not my question. Someone else submitted it. What is our message in labour-facing areas? So attacking the blue wall makes absolute sense. You know, it's very obvious to me as someone in a, a primarily labour-facing area, Area the red wall's a bit crumbly these days, um, but where where does this target uh, on on the sort of Tory facing areas leave those of us who campaign in big Labour dominated cities, particularly in the north of England? Where does that leave us? Does anyone have a, a thought on that? Well, yeah, clearly, I
2: mean, um, there's no doubt that. The vast majority of our target seats are battles with the Conservatives, which is the whole blue wall features and what we've seen. But, you know, you will have Labour councils in particular who are doing a really poor job. I mean, you've shown, Hannah, um, amazing campaigning success in Barnsley. Um, and you know, you're you're. Are you now the official leader of the opposition? I think you are. You? Yes, I am. Um, I am the uh, official leader <laughs> of the
1: opposition on Barnsley Council. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's you know, that's a fantastic achievement. And you know, you're you're doing that through uh, exposing the failures and, uh, and and faults of the local Labour council. And you know, we're doing it in many areas. I mean, doing fantastic job in places like Sheffield and Sunderland and, and many other places. So liberal Democrat campaigners on the ground fighting Labour are are not flinching from putting forward the liberal Democrat message. You know, we are the community politicians par excellence. And that's, again, what we showed in the by-elections against the Conservatives. You know, people want to know that the politician who's on their doorstep is listening to them, uh, is hearing their concerns, is going to do something about it. And, you know, that is a critical part of winning... That vote. And then, you know, once you got that influence, once you're elected as a council or as an MP and you've got control of the council, whatever it may be, then you're able to put our Liberal Democrat ideas into practice as community politicians, reflecting the views of the people, but with that Liberal message and that Liberal uh, underlying principle. So I, I see no problem with uh, our activists in areas where Labour are strong taking the fight to them. Yeah. Mike.
3: Um, yeah i'd agree with that i think um a lot of it depends on what Labour's position is on electoral reform Mm -hmm. so so i think if labor are clearly committed toward to electoral reform i think we will honestly find it quite hard to motivate our volunteers and activists in a lot of labor facing seats because they'll think that's the thing i want most that's the thing that would change change stuff i'm going to go and uh uh, try and help defeat the Tories in X place. So I recently went to Cambridge's AGM. Uh, Cambridge Labour-facing, um, uh, that's that's a stretch to try and uh, do well in there. But South Cam's, uh, you know, very, very close. A lot of our activists in Cambridge in the in the general election will, next general election, will just go to South Cam's. I think that's really clear. Um, so a lot of it depends on that. Um, and then the, the other thing is, what we saw in Northropshire was a party that had put in place really good infrastructure and that infrastructure, mapping all the walks, getting the volunteers in the right place, meant that when an opportunity did come up, actually, they could do really, really well. And I, I think it's at some point there will be a Labour government. And at that point, we need to have the infrastructure in place in those seats because they come into play in a really different way as soon as Labour are in government. And it does take a long time to put that in place. So it is really important that we build teams in those places, that we get the walks out, that we keep the Liberal Democrats campaigning in those areas um, and play the long game. Because, you know, it's not like politics is going to stop in 15, 20 years.
1: No, absolutely. And that's I mean, no one asked me today, but but that's that's my answer as someone who who fights Labour on a daily basis. We we might be struggling to beat them at parliamentary level at the moment, you know, there's no point pretending otherwise. But we keep keep fighting, keep campaigning, keep winning councillors from them, keep winning councils from them. Um, we've got places like Hull and Sheffield where we're, you know, we're looking to take control of those councils. And what that does is it sets us up and build builds that infrastructure at local government level for when the tide shifts, which it, it will in, in the fullness of time. We've got that that base of winning that might make people think. Well, actually, I've likes having a Lib Dem one council, i I've likes having a Lib Dem councillor. Go on, I'll have a Lib Dem MP. Mark, any comments, particularly on how close Labour are getting to uh, committing to electoral reform?
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, electoral reform is the huge game changer for British politics and massively important to achieve. I think. Sort of through slightly gritted teeth, we have to acknowledge that Labour MPs in the House of Commons are probably the real key determinant that the better we do at the next election, the more chance we've got of putting pressure on Labour. But Labour's position is absolutely crucial. But I think therefore, you know, it's worth thinking about the long term as well, which is that it's always easier to campaign against whoever's in power, and it's easier to get media attention if you're campaigning against who's in power. I mean, who cares that much about what one opposition party is saying about another opposition party. Those in those parties might care a lot, but for the media and for the voters, that's never as interesting. So it's obviously a little bit different in Wales where Labour is, you know, in power in the devolved administration there, but in Scotland and in England, you know, it's just going to be easier for us to make progress against the Tories or the SNP because we've got that, that, that basic dynamic. But what's crucial is that in the interim, as you say, Hannah, we make as much, progress as we can in council elections in places like Barnsley and Rotherham and Wakefield and Sunderland so that when there is no longer a Tory prime minister we're able to continue our progress and there's just you know a natural phase of whoever's in power that's the one it's easiest to take seats against but we need to carry on the grassroots recovery across the board.
1: Yeah absolutely okay so just to flip to something uh slightly different um And I'm going to kind of link these two questions together because we're getting a little bit short of time. So now that we're out of the EU, uh, how do we how do we position ourselves now? And how do we show potential voters that we have other policies worth voting for? Because obviously, for a long time, you know, our our big message was around stopping Brexit. Um, I would argue we've done better this year since that's no longer at the forefront of people's minds. But you know, how do we position ourselves? And then linked to that. Um, is that someone said it's brilliant that we're being touted as a party to take conservative seats, but how do we become aspirational rather than just a protest vote? So, you know, how are we positioning ourselves as a party that people actively want to vote for? Ed? Well, I thought off in the book campaigning in Cheshire, Hampshire and North
2: Shropshire by saying that we were listening to people and we responded to their concerns. And that's what we've been doing um, for quite a long time now doing a lot of market research listening to people um and making sure we've understood what people are feeling um and it's really clear to me that people feel that the deal between government and the people is broken under the Tories the sort of social contract that people have expected for decades um, has been weakening over time but it's been absolutely broken by the conservatives so That's why I've been speaking, both the autumn conference speech and elsewhere, about the need to fight for a new fairer deal that we can offer people. And what I've said is that if there's lots of people who who play by the rules, who do their bit. Um, And I think we need to be the party that says, you know, you you deserve a fair deal, whether it's getting a decent home in a safe neighborhood, uh, making sure your children can go to a good school and have the real opportunities to fulfill their potential, um, to make sure that if someone in your family is ill or disabled, you get the care, the health and social care uh, that you need. And I want us to take on this concept of a broken social contract, the need for a fairer deal to another level. Um, uh, I will be uh, um, publishing a book, which I've been editing uh, in time for the spring conference. Uh, it brings together some fresh thinkers from across the party. To propose ideas on how we we address this issue Um, uh, there's gonna be stuff on the economy on social policy on the environment and, 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 and on the political reform uh, and that liberal message uh, whether it's on electoral reform that uh, mike and mark were talking about or about making sure that we empower people more i think is going to be something that we can really campaign on at local and national level um and let me end uh, on this sort of how we get our message across who we are uh, I've always defined my liberalism as being someone who wants to empower everybody, give people more power, um, and also at the same time hold the really powerful to account. That's what liberalism is to me. It's make sharing power to people who are less powerful and holding the powerful corporations, uh, the city, fossil fuel companies, governments to account on behalf of people, And I think that's what liberals fundamentally believe. They want to empower everybody in our communities uh, and in families across the country. And we need to be able to then articulate that philosophy in this fair deal approach that I'm talking about. And I think education is critical to that. I think health and care is critical to that. Uh, And I think making sure people's jobs and businesses are critical to that, too.
1: Lovely. Thanks, Ed. Mark, do you have any any comments on that? Or
2: Yeah,
0: maybe just coming back to the Europe bit specifically. I think, you know, our position, you know, our policy is very clear that in the long term, we believe that Britain's place is in the European Union. That is what will give people the best opportunities in their lives. It's what will be best for the economy. It's what will be best for battling to protect the environment. And it's the right, you know, it's the right outcome to over. The question is, how do we get from where we are where we want to be and in that i think we can learn a lesson from the you know the euro skeptics and the brexiteers that if you look at what they were doing in the run-up to their tragically you know tragically their success in the brexit referendum for most of that time they were not directly campaigning for britain to leave the eu they picked intermediate objectives to campaign for and i think You know, in reverse, we can learn a lesson from that. Is I think there is a even many people who voted Remain don't want to hear a political party going on about Remain is the most important thing we must rejoin tomorrow. Partly because of views about well, maybe we should respect previous decisions. Partly because there are things like COVID immediately on their mind. So even you know even among Remainers, you lose support if you take that line. But there absolutely are areas of closer cooperation, closer alignment with the EU that we can campaign for month in, month out, and that help build that long-term uh, vision of, of us getting back into the EU and making sure that we stay there as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay, so we're we're sort of coming towards the end of our time. So I've just got a few um, kind of quicker fire questions uh, for people, please, if that's okay. Okay. Um, what was um What was the biggest mistake you made in 2021, and what have you and what have you learned from it? Ed looks least stressed at this question, so we're laughing first.
2: <laughs> oh gosh! Um, well, I think the more you listen to Dave McCobb, the better. So if I failed to listen to Dave McCobb, uh, the head of our campaigns, uh, then I made a mistake. Uh, you know, we've we've really got to make sure that um in all our campaigning for the party we we trust these amazing campaign people we've we, we've got in place and we work with them and i, I like to think we did um but uh, i just want to underline how important it is going forward that uh we we put out put our trust in these people who really experience and listen to them and, and get ourselves trained up and to say that i failed to do that i made a mistake
1: that's great thank you uh, mark
0: Um, I think the biggest mistake was there was a horrible cock-up over some of the party business stuff at Spring Conference related to the complaints process. And, you know, the buck stops with me on that because I both got my words wrong when speaking to conference and hadn't done a final check of the paperwork to spot that there was a problem, you know, either before it was submitted or well in advance of conference. So, yeah, I screwed up on that. Um, And I think the thing I learned from it was uh well in or in a sense what I relearned from it because i would sort of known this before but it was it was brought home very starkly to me was if if you're in that situation don't you know just fess up admit that you've admit that you've wrong don't spend time trying to place the blame on anyone else whatever if you directly say look you know I could have done something different I should have done something different and I'm really sorry for that actually people do you know do respond much better and but also crucially it then allows you to get on to okay how are we going to fix this how are we going to put it right as opposed to everyone being caught in you know endless mutual recrimination so don't screw up but if you do screw up (laughs) take responsibility and apologize
1: yeah good good honest answer there Mark, mark thank you i think a lot of people will appreciate that mike what about you um
3: i make loads of mistakes all the time every day um, and I'm just trying to sort of sift through the, through the best ones. Um the um, I think the the sort of crucial thing when you're trying to run an organization is to be very open about taking criticism and making sure that people feel they can challenge you on things continually. So, I try quite hard to go, this is what I'm thinking, does that feel right? And and to make a lot of small mistakes that are then correctable quite quickly, rather than things that kind of linger. I think something that stands in the mind particularly is during the May campaign, um, I gave some advice about COVID restrictions that didn't apply in Scotland in the same way it did in England. And that was, that caused a couple of people some problems. And I didn't, Get to that quickly enough. So it's it's things like that. It's mainly um telling people things in the wrong order is the thing I get wrong because we're quite complicated and that's quite easy to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. Lovely, good, honest reflections there. If you could have just one of the following, just one, I'm going to make you choose. Which one would you pick and why? So your choices: double the members, double the MPs, or double the donations. Mike, I'm going to come straight back to you. Don't uh, ever think Double
3: it. the active members, without a doubt, because it leads to all the other ones. No question.
2: Great stuff. Ed? Well, uh, I lead the parliamentary party, so if I didn't want to double the MPs, uh, the only thing I say, I want to do more than that.
1: Very good. Ambitious. Mark?
2: Well, I, I think for completeness, I
0: should say double the donors because if you double the donors, you've then got the money that can get you out recruiting more members and out getting more MPs. Of course, in a way, you need all three. You know, all three. Um, and and if I really had to pick one, I would pick double the members. But 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 if that's already gone, double the donors is an okay substitute.
1: I mean, that's the, that's the it's a trick question, isn't it? We obviously all, we obviously all want all of them, and then um, a, a fun a fun one to end on. What is the one thing you find the weirdest or most annoying about the party? <laughs> we're only allowed one. Oh my! God. I mean, yeah. That I mean, you know. Tough. I mean, I mean, Ed's got a hard deadline in eight minutes, but you know, yeah. Feel feel free to feel free to list them. <laughs> Ed,
2: All right. I'm going to be really controversial. Um, sometimes I think we think we're more a think tank than a party and to represent the people we want to represent, we have to make sure that we're listening to them and not to ourselves. And the, the, the party doesn't always do this, but sometimes I think we forget that we're there to win elections so we can put into practice our values and our policies. And... I'm, I'm not talking about making compromises. I'm just talking about what should be the priority. And um, I think that we we are changing this. Mark's doing a lot. Mike's doing a lot. Everyone's doing a lot, I think. ALDC, for example, is doing a lot. To, to make sure we are focused in on how we get our messages, our policies, as voter-focused as, as possible and make them the priority uh, for us. And I think, for me, when the party doesn't rem- remember that and looks inward and talks to ourselves rather than to the voters, then that's what irritates me the most. But I have to say, I think that is changing a lot from from, from recent past.
1: Yeah, uh, here at the podcast, we, we definitely value winning over ideological purity, Ed. So hopefully you're preaching to the converted here. Uh, Mike?
3: But the single weirdest thing was that I was interviewed by more than 60 people for this job, which definitely I haven't ever had for any other chief exec job I've had. Um, I think the the kind of bigger scale thing is we know exactly how to win and we are actually very good at it, but we spend quite a lot of time doing other stuff and that just feels really weird. Um, So one of the things that I'm most proud of doing this year is – For people that do, the, I think it's the 10% of people that do most canvassing, we get them on a call with the leader, with our director of comms and our director of campaigns and the person that chairs our campaigns committee, and we say, A, thank you, um, and B, what did you hear from people, what's working, what isn't working, Um, and we send them a pin badge to say thanks, and just that one call Uh, partly because you get direct access to the leader, partly because you can see a lot of other people doing it, and partly because it really celebrates one important thing that we do that really helps us win um, is important. So I think if I could change one thing about the party, it would be to make more of the incentive kind of structures in the party point towards and encourage the things that help us win rather than things that don't help us win. And I think that isn't set up in the way that you wouldn't, you know, if you're running an organisation, you wouldn't design the incentive structures in the way that we currently have them.
1: A Lib Lib Dem bonus scheme. I I like (laughs) the idea of that. But of course, winning the elections is the reward that all of us want, really. Mark, what about you?
0: Um, so I guess the weirdest thing is that in party committee meetings, the people who are often keenest on knocking down any new idea or opposing any proposal for change are also often the people who in policy debates at conference are most demanding that we're radical and there is there is this curious weird lovable you know endearing whatever words you want to pick strain of deeply small C conservative, capital R radical colleagues in the party who are really passionate about wanting to radically change society, wanting to radically make life better for people. But if you dare suggest moving even a comma in something, they'll immediately give you 38 reasons why that's an awful thing and you must never do. And it's a, it's a really weird contrast that I I sort of recognise and I understand in my head, but I must admit in my gut, I I I I still I still don't don't quite understand. So anyone listening to this who feels that I've described them, please tweet at me to explain to explain how those two go together.
1: That's splendid. I think that's a really good question to end on. We're obviously coming close to um to to time anyway. So I just want to say a massive thank you to mark ed and mike for joining us on the podcast today we did have this one in the diary uh for december but we were all busy with a little by-election <laughs> so we so we pushed it to january thank you to all our viewers for listening uh to us here on the podcast uh, and happy new year
0: absolutely uh, thank happy you to and john and the team the podcast is a great uh, great bit of the internal comms that happens in the party these days <music>